Happy Easter venture. He has risen just as he said he would. And today we're gathered together to celebrate that and to worship a risen Savior. Maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. There was a quote in that video we just watched. It's broadly attributed to Martin Luther, not the king, but his namesake about 500 years ago. We're not positive he said this, but we think he might have. Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection. Not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. I don't know about you. I bet maybe you do. I love this time of year. There's just something about the world coming back to life after the dark days of winter, the cold death, if you will, of winter. We see new life popping up all about us. When you think about it, springtime, well, it's a bit of a comeback story. Yesterday. Yesterday, I was out here on the South Lawn watching, oh, several hundred kids and many of you moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, like a swarm of locusts swarming over the ground. And I think there were like 10,000 eggs, and then they were just gone. It just happened just like that. And right after that, all the kids are sitting there with their Easter baskets, and they're opening up the candy out of the eggs, and they're swapping candy. I love that. I love when I see kids doing that. My kids did that when they were little. And uh, I'm standing there, and I'm talking with a dad. And he looks at me and he says, you know what, if we could just harness that energy for good, all of those dandelions that are popping up out there, we could send those kids out there, maybe they could pick all of those. Dandelions are a comeback story, right? They were dead, they were gone, you sprayed for them last summer, and here they are again, probably because your neighbor didn't spray his yard for dandelions, right? I have these two trees in our backyard that uh, they're one of these kinds of trees. They're chestnut trees, and they bud out a little bit later. I find myself just about every day walking out and checking to see, have they budded out yet or they've made it through the winter? I just love the comeback story this time of year. The bulbs popping up out of the ground, crocus and daffodils and tulips. Spring is a comeback story. Are any of you fans of the UFC? ultimate fighting. Perhaps you know a good comeback story. How many of you at some point in your life have watched the movie Rocky? Anybody, any Rocky fans out there? Several years ago, I took one of my boys to Philadelphia, and of course, we had to do the obligatory pose in front of the Rocky statue. These are the steps that he ran up. This is right after I'd gotten one of those iPhones that let you do the the video in slow motion, so I pulled that out, and uh, I shot a bit of a movie here. Now, you can't uh, hear it because, thank goodness, there's no sound, but I'm actually singing the Eye of the Tiger underneath this. It's the Eye of the Tiger. It's the will of the fight. It's a comeback story. I love Rocky. You know that moment in the movie when the ref has gone down to his knees to join the downed fighter, and he's one. He is two. Oh, it's a comeback story. Here he comes. I've uh, gotten to go to one boxing match, a title fight in my life. This was in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand in 2001. We've got good friends that live out there, and he had come across some free tickets. And so we got to go and celebrate this incredible title fight between Floyd Mayweather and Diego Corrales. If you're uh, any kind of a boxing fan, you probably know who Floyd Mayweather is. 
You might not remember Diego Corrales, but he was a, uh, an up-and-comer during that season of his career. And, oh, we were hoping for a comeback story. Here's a picture of them actually in the fight that night. We were there cheering them on. It was a star-studded event. The crowd was electric. The celebrities were out in full force. As a matter of fact, Will Smith was lurking in the shadows, just looking to come out and slap somebody. <laughs> Is it too soon? Too soon? Uh, I don't think I saw Will Smith there that night, but I did see a whole bunch of other celebrities like Denzel Washington. This is actually a picture that was taken that night. Here he is posing or maybe a candid shot with the ref that night. His name is Richard Steele. Great name for a ref. He's wearing the bow tie here in true ref fashion for boxing. He's the guy that we see down on his knees. It's one. It's two. You see, uh, Corrales was knocked down twice during the, I think it was the seventh round. No, three times during the seventh round. Then he was knocked down two more times during the tenth. The last one, one, two. He's down for the count. TKO, baby. I picture a similar scene in heaven. It, it was a star-studded event, Right? I mean, you've got all of the heroes of the faith of the Old Testament, and they're watching, waiting with bated breath. One, two, get up, get up, get up. This is a scene from about 2,000 years ago. I know for some of us that seems like a long time ago. It's not really. Not in God's time. In God's time, it could have been yesterday. What we're talking about today is relevant. You might even say that it's current. Here's a passage of Scripture that I would point to to illustrate that, Second Peter. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That means in God's sense of time. Today we're talking about events that happened on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. If a day is like a thousand years, then that makes today like Tuesday. This is current. This is relevant. And for some of us, maybe you feel like you're down for the count. Lean in. This is very relevant. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone and anyone means anyone. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. By the way, unapologetically, this is what we're aiming at today. Some of you are here because you've been invited to be here. You're our guest today, and we're so grateful to have you with us. We've been doing a sermon series over the last several weeks. Honestly, we've been talking about how very important it is for us who love Jesus and have committed to give our lives to Jesus. We need to be investing and inviting and bringing people into God's family. I'm so grateful you're here. And unapologetically, I just want to let you know right now that at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to embrace that passage. I believe this is God's desire for you today. And we see uh, this scene in heaven. There's this blurry line between this life and the life to come. Well, rather than 
talking about it, rather than just talking out loud, let's read the greatest story ever told together. I'm on page 1021. If you want to grab one of those Bibles that's underneath the seat in front of you, if you want to pull that out, I'm on page 1021 there. Maybe you brought a smartphone with you. You've got a Bible app on there. If you want to join me there, I'm in Mark chapter 15. Let me catch you up. Jesus has already had a brutal day. He's been scourged. He's been mocked. He's been falsely accused in three different trials. About 9 a.m., he was nailed to a cruel Roman cross. He's hung there for about six hours now, half of that time in darkness. Mark chapter 15, here's the passage. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Let's pause there just for a second. This might have been an act of mercy. It might have been an act of mocking. We're not sure. We talked about this last week if you were here. Jesus didn't accept that gift offered to him. This wine was designed to be a little bit of a pain number, and he said, no, I'm not going to do that, because he had promised his disciples the night before he would not be drinking from the fruit of the vine until he drinks it one of these days with them in paradise. This was the first communion service, and he's saying, until you're in heaven with me, I'm not going to do this. And he held his promise. He refused it. This might have been an act of mercy, meant to numb his pain just a little bit. It also might have been an act of mocking. Because you see, in Roman times, the Roman public latrines, well, a stick with a sponge on it, this was public toilet paper. Maybe this was an act of mocking. Let's see if Elijah, who? Hold on to that thought, that question. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. If you're a guest today, the first four books of our New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call these gospels. Gospel literally means good news, and it is good news. Each one of those four accounts tells us about what Jesus did while he was here on earth. Each one of those four ends at the end of uh, the, the, the story with this most important story. Jesus breathed his last. In another one of those gospels, not in Mark, but in another one, it says that Jesus said, it is finished. And then he died. And at that point, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Surely he's exactly who he said he was. Elijah. Did you catch that? What's the deal with Elijah? Well, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. And actually, Jesus had been compared to Elijah most of the three years that he did his earthly ministry here on earth. But I also believe Elijah was in the crowd with bated breath, watching that moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross, one. He had been scourged before that, two. He breathed his last in the whole crowd of heaven with bated breath. Get up, get up, get up. 
We see this scene detailed for us in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11, right before this, Elijah is referenced with the prophets. Here we read about this scene, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. But this, this crowd of witnesses, I think this is a crowd in heaven that's there to cheer Jesus on. Let's run this race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And this is the scene that they're seeing, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of God on his throne. A couple of thoughts. Jesus is cheering us on today. I think he's a part of that crowd. Others were cheering him on and cheer us on today as well. But I picture this crowd of witnesses like I picture a prize fight. Can you picture it? With bated breath, one, he's down for the count. Two, Get up, get up, get up. He died. And I suspect they, they felt despair. He's down. He's out, we think. But don't call it a comeback. This is preordained. Let's go back to the story in Mark because the story continues. It was preparation day. It's Friday, the day before Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate, like the local boss, the Roman boss, and asking for, asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Oftentimes, criminals would hang on the cross for up to like nine days. Awful way to die. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died when he learned from the centurion that it was so. He gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph took Jesus' body and brought some linen cloth, took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock. And he rolled the, to the stone against the entrance of the tomb. And I think that crowd, that bandstand of witnesses, I think they lean in. No, get up, get up, get up. That was Friday. Tomorrow's Saturday, but Sunday's coming. Let's keep reading. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Well, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they, because that's where you put dead people, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Their hearts had to start beating a bit faster. One, two, Dare we believe? As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You would be too if you saw an angel. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. But he's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you're going to see him just as he told you. He called the shot. He said this was going to happen. Listen, these ladies, they weren't the first to know. 
Heaven had been cheering for a while, I think, at that moment. These women had just barely missed the greatest moment in history. Now, they didn't miss out. They just missed the moment. Heaven had been cheering, get up, get up, get up. And he did. He beat the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. And we worship and we serve a risen Savior. Well, from that moment, he's seen by countless witnesses. He performed miracles. He confirmed job descriptions. He even spoke the Great Commission. He said to his disciples, I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to baptize everybody. I want you to tell everybody about what's happened. I'm starting a movement because he rose from the grave. Mark chapter 19 or 16 continues. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and this is how the gospel of Mark ends here, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. You would too, if you saw somebody who died, come to life. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. The title of today's message is Rise Up. And I want to preach a sermon in the spirit of the book of Acts. We said Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, if you're our guest today, the very next book in the New Testament is the book of Acts. And it tells the story of how those early eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, how they literally changed the world at the time. Maybe the last two years has felt to you a bit like that three count. One, man, that pandemic just stunk. Two, you're feeling disconnected. Maybe you're feeling isolated. Maybe you're feeling lonely. Maybe there's some depression. And you're starting to feel like, man, am I down? Am I out? I want to challenge you. You're down, but you're not out. Perhaps today is a rocky moment for you, an eye of the tiger moment for you through the power of Jesus' resurrection because one of these teams is going to win. Spoiler alert. It's Team Jesus. Bet on Team Jesus because Jesus has risen for you. By the way, that word you there, I mean that in the biblical sense. If you were to read through your Bible, the word you is used an awful lot in the New Testament. And oftentimes the word you, well, we don't have an English word that reflects what's going on there because it's meant to be plural. We don't have a plural word for you unless you live south of the Mason-Dixon line, right? Then it's y'all, or if you're really south, yuns. So for all y'all, Jesus has risen for all y'all. Let me tell you about who's included in that. Some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time now. Could it be that he's risen and today he calls you to rise up into a deeper level of acceptance, a deeper, deeper level of commitment to the risen Jesus. Some of us, perhaps, oh, well, we're here sometimes. We're kind of engaged with the things of Jesus some. And listen, we love to see you at Christmas and we love to see you at Easter, but here's the thing. Maybe today he's calling you to rise up and to step into a deeper level of commitment as you walk with your Jesus. For some of you, some of you, maybe you are our guest today, and you don't know my Jesus yet. Is it possible? 
Is it possible that today might be a moment for you to rise up and say, yes, I want what it is that Jesus has to offer. I want this life with God thing that I keep hearing people talk about. Maybe for you, it's a time for you to rise up because Jesus has risen for you to rise up. I want to share with you today three truths that yield a couple of dares, each one of them. If you're taking notes, or maybe somebody drug you to church today and you're like, when are we going to get out of here? Well, when we get through this outline, then you know we'll be out of here. Rise up. Rise up. Why? Well, because our cross took his breath away. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you a couple of dares coming out of that. Rise up, our cross took his breath away. Also, his death takes our sins away. Rise up. Our cross took his breath away. His death takes our sins away. And his resurrection takes our death away. Do you see the cyclical nature of that? This is what we're aiming at. For each one of them, we've got a couple of dares. So first of all, let's look at this idea of rise up. Our cross took his breath away. So I dare you. I dare all y'all embrace the truth that the cross was real. Jesus called the shot. He said, I'm going to be uh, killed. I'm going to be buried. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. He called it, and then he did it. Did you know that there are over 324 individual prophecies in the Old Testament related to the Messiah? Jesus fulfills all 324 of those. This is mind-boggling. Years ago, a mathematician calculated the odds. Of course he would. He's a mathematician. The odds of, of Jesus fulfilling just seven of those 324 prophecies. He concluded that the odds would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a big number. That's a lot of zeros. This is one in 100 quadrillion. That's a crazy number to comprehend. Elon Musk has been in the news here recently, and I did a little bit of math to figure this out. Elon Musk, with all of his billions, I think he's got 264-ish billion in the bank or investments right now. He is 0.03% on his way to being a quadrillionaire. 0.03%. He's got a long way to go to become a quadrillionaire, and then he'd have to multiply that by 100 to become the one in 10 and 17, Right? He said the odds would be like this. It would be like taking a blind guy, taking him down to Texas. Everything is big in Texas. And they all say, y'all, right? It's a huge state. If you took silver dollars and you threw them out over the entire state of Texas, though that pile would be over two feet deep. Silver dollars. And if you were to say to this guy, hey, I'm going to mark the back of one of these silver dollars. I'm going to throw it out in the middle there. We're going to be able to churn the whole thing up. You go out and you find that one. The odds of him finding one would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's the odds that Jesus would just seven of these prophecies fulfill. 324 individual prophecies. The cross was real. There were prophecies fulfilled. The cross was real, and it's a historical fact. You know what? I spent some time on NASA's website this past week. Check this out. This is nasa.gov. They list here all the lunar and solar uh, eclipses over the last, I don't know, several thousand years. They kind of went back in time and tracked this and did the math. I'm kind of into such things. Did anybody else see the moonset 
and the sunrise this morning. You had to get up early to see this. It was almost a full moon. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. If you want to see it, go to my social media pages, and I'll put a a picture there. NASA's into such things, and they've tracked these, and this is so interesting to me. Sometime right around the time that Jesus died. This is, again, on the NASA website. This is April 3rd, 33. 33 A.D., for two hours and 50 minutes, there was a lunar eclipse. That's real close to the three hours that are described in the Bible. And it's interesting. On NASA's website, they've got it labeled, Crucifixion of Christ? Question mark. Huh. Isn't that interesting? The sky grows black as the night Listen, I don't believe that God needs to move planets around preordained like that to make it happen. I believe what the Bible says, he spoke the world into existence. And by his very word, he separated the day from the night. I believe that all that God has to do to make it dark outside is to snap his fingers. But I find that really interesting. The cross of Christ is real. If we were to go to archaeology... Oh, my goodness, I can assure you that the cross, that it was happening, it was real. There's significant archaeological evidence that the people were being crucified by the Romans. They've dug up bones of bodies that were buried. Some of them, they find spikes through their heels and through their wrists. The cross was very real. But here's what you won't find. You won't be able to go to a grave and find the body of Jesus because his body didn't stay there. He rose from the grave. I dare you, embrace the truth, not just that the cross is real, but the cross was ours. Let's go back to our three truths. Remember I said, our cross took his breath away. It is our cross. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 makes it very clear that all y'all and me included, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, 23 says, but the wages, this is the penalty, the result of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So rise up. Rise up. His death takes our sins away. Our, his, our cross took his breath away, but his death takes our sins away. I dare you. I dare you to pick a team. Perhaps you're familiar with the Robert Frost poem that says, Two roads diverge in the woods. I took the one less less traveled by, and it made all the difference. Listen, there are two teams here on a cosmic sense. One team is led by Satan and his minions, and it's full of sin and death, and the ultimate result is hell. Don't take that road. The other team is life. It's Team Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, that I've come that you might have life. And then he goes on to say, and have it to the fullest. I like the old translations that say it's abundant life. He's talking about not just life one of these days, the life to come, but I want you to have abundant life today. And he does this. He does it through the big things and he does it through the little things. If you're a guest today, You might not know that our family has been journeying over the last couple of weeks. One of my boys was in a really bad car accident a couple of weeks ago, and I've seen the pictures. You will not be able to convince me that it was not a miracle that he survived that accident. And I praise God for that. Yeah. 
the abundant life shows up in the big things. It also shows up in, in the little things. It's been so cool over the last couple of weeks. Many of you have brought us food to our house and been loving on us well. Listen, if you're not a part of the family of God, you're missing out on some incredible things. One of you had brought some food and we're eating it. My in-laws were there because Micah had another surgery. And, and uh, we were kind of standing there chatting and eating the food that you brought. And we were, I don't know why we were talking about this, but we were talking about eating out or the lack thereof. We didn't do that when we were little kids. And we talked about we, we, we didn't eat at McDonald's much when we were younger. And uh, I was remembering a road trip. And I think it was on this trip. My mom had been diagnosed with cancer. Before she died, we took this road trip with a camper down to Disney World. It wasn't make a wish, but it was that kind of thing, just our family making the wish happen. And it was that, that season in my life when, uh, you know, as a teenager, uh, a teen boy, I would get hungry and I would feel like my insides are starting to eat me from the inside out. Perhaps if you were a teen boy, once you remember that moment, what that feels like. And we'd stopped at a McDonald's and I remember I was ticked because we were trying to save money or something and, and mom and dad looked at me and said, you can order a cheeseburger or a hamburger. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm starving here. Like I'm literally wasting away. Can you not see that? <laughs> and mom looked at me and she said, well, I'll tell you what, you can, um, you can go ahead and order that. And it was like this scratch off thing happening with the Olympics that were going on. And if we win a prize, you could eat that too. All right. So I go back and I'm eating my hamburger. We scratch off the thing and there's some free fries. Cool, thanks. I go up to the counter and exchange it and they give me back my fries. And we scratch that off and it's got a Big Mac attached to it. <laughs> Praise Jesus. I go back and I get the Big Mac and scratch that off. And it's a hot apple pie and scratch that off. I go through the entire McDonald's menu and I walk out of there stuffed with grease and all kinds of things that'll kill you. Praise God even for the little things, right? I love it. I dare you. Embrace the truth. Pick a team. And embrace the truth that Jesus rose from the grave. Let me ask you the question, have you? This might be a pivotal time in human history we're coming out of this pandemic. It might be a pivotal time in your history. I picture Jesus in a ref shirt, and it's one, and it's two, and he's saying, get up. Get up, get up, die to self so that you can live in me. Because remember he said, rise up. His resurrection takes our death away. I was a senior in high school. The night I began to embrace the reality of this truth, life with Jesus. My mom died that night. And I remember in the days and the weeks and the months that followed the passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, man, it came to roost in my soul. It goes like this, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Listen, if you're a Christian and you've lost a loved one and they're also a Christian, you're going to get to see them again on the other side of heaven's door in eternity because his resurrection takes our death away. Ephesians chapter 5 puts it this way. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live then as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. 
Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I dare you. Stop living dead. Wake up. I just wonder. I wonder who needs to shake off some pandemic thinking. Rise up. Who needs to claim victory over fear? Rise up. Who needs to take a relational risk? Rise up. Who needs to switch from playing defense to offense? Well, rise up. Who needs to stop playing church and exchange religion for authentic relationship? Rise up. Who needs to embrace life over death? You rise up. Who needs to die to self and embrace true life in Christ? He's calling you today to rise up. The passage goes on. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Ever heard the phrase, dead man walking? I've done a few weddings in my day. And almost always somebody makes this joke. It's usually one of the groomsmen, the bachelor party crowd. They always think they're funny. And they look at the groom and they say, here he comes, dead man walking. They're kind of poking at the bride. And he said he's going to lose his freedom. And listen, I've been married for 27 years now. I kind of get it. There's some freedom lost from the single years. But oh my goodness, there's so much more to be gained living inside committed relationship. That's a good thing to hand over that freedom for something better. This makes me think about a life with Jesus. It makes me think about the lordship of Christ. Listen, he doesn't want to date you. He wants everything. He wants your whole life, dead man or dead woman walking. By the way, there could be some beauty in death. I've got a picture here I want to show you. I'm a bit of a deer hunter. By the way, we're going to eat some venison this afternoon. I've thawed out some summer sausage while we're waiting for everybody to show up. We'll eat that. And then I've got some bratwurst that I've thawed out and some venison loin that we're going to grill tonight. But this is, uh, this is from the Christmas season. Dawn does a great job every year. She decorates our house so beautifully for Christmas. This happens every year. I think I'm funny. I go grab one of these and I hang it up, up somewhere. And uh, she does what she does every year. She rolls her eyes at it and says, take it down. And I say, yes, ma'am, I take it down and put it back in the basement. We do this little ritual every year. I think I'm funny. I'm not. But here's the thing. I've, I've, I've come to appreciate these. I call this a freedom mount or a European skull mount. And I love kind of picking these things up and looking at them. We've been looking at CT scans because of this accident over the last couple of weeks. And I'm drawn to, there's something about this skull. It's similar to a human skull. And I learned some things. These little spaces where the bones are knit together, they look like welds to me. It used to be cartilage. They're knit together as bone now. They call it a suture. I didn't know that. And I look at that, and it reminds me that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This points to intelligent design. We were knit together in our mother's womb. But there's some beauty, even as I look at that, in a dead thing. Because it reminds me of life. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Listen, he wants your relationship. He wants your trust. He wants your confidence. He wants 
presence with you. He wants you to be a dead man or woman walking, and there's beauty in that. If your struggles seem overwhelming today, can I just challenge you to die to self? Let me real quick hit you with five steps that are going to help you die so that you can live. There's beauty in these. First of all, quit relying on your own strength. Lean on him. Second of all, cry out to God and repent of any known sins. Third, be accountable. Surround yourself with some believers to lean on for prayer and to help you through the times of temptation or struggle. Number four, passionately pursue God. Commit yourself to spending time with him daily. Number five, fight the good fight. In other words, rise up. There's a spiritual battle at play here. There are forces of good and evil. You must stand in the victory that Jesus and only Jesus provides. Those of us who are here often and call Jesus Lord, perhaps we need to move past this pandemic thinking and think more in the terms of the lordship of Jesus, what he has to offer for us, and lean into that more and more and more. Some of us were here today. And we're not here very often, but we're here on Easter, and I'm so glad that you're here. We love to have you here Christmas. We love to have you here Easter. But can I challenge you with this truth? We celebrate Easter every week around here. Every week we do what we did just a bit ago. Jenny led us through that moment where we look at the body of Christ broken and his blood shed, and we remember why we gather. And we celebrate his victory over death and how in that single greatest moment of human history, he breaks the power of Satan's sin, death, and hell. We celebrate Easter every week, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. Oh, and for those of you who don't know my Jesus yet, yet, I've got a couple of special dares for you. First of all, there's a blurry line between life and death. It's not as clear-cut as you think it is. Jesus does more than hint at the power of resurrection before his resurrection. He does more than dance around that blurry line between life and death. There's this story this moment where he's with Mary and Martha. Lazarus has just died. And there's this conversation that we get to lean into. It's in John chapter 11. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She misunderstands what he's saying. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, listen, I am the way, the resurrection, and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God. Do you believe this? Here's another dare. Rise up. Claim this. For some of us, we're here today, and I think you're feeling like, oh, my goodness, I'm down for the count. One, two. And Jesus is saying, rise up. Rise up. Get up. Get up. Get up. Jesus makes one heck of a claim that he's God and that he's risen from the dead to give us eternal life. It's ours to be claimed. This is victory, and it has been claimed for you. Can I challenge you? Claim 
your victory over death. Claim your victory over shame. Claim your victory over guilt, over your past. Claim your victory over your future. Claim it over all of it. Because salvation is his. And it's here for you. For all y'all. So claim it. If you're a guest here today, you were invited because somebody loves you. And they want what's very best for you. This is a moment of maybe the biggest dare. Could I get everybody in this room to bow your heads and, and close your eyes? And I want to have a moment just where we reflect on this and put this into action. Do you want to rise up? There's no better way than to step into a right relationship with Jesus. He wants to heal you. He wants to adopt you into his family, and he wants to forgive you. He wants to save you. We all need salvation. We just looked at those passages. Romans chapter 3 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But Romans 5, I love this passage, says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That great exchange, the righteous for the unrighteous, the guilty being redeemed by the guiltless. And then it goes on to say, so that if any of us were to call upon his name, he gives us the right to become sons and daughters of God. Listen. The whole Bible is the story of a loving Heavenly Father pursuing his kids. Some of you are sitting here. We've got our heads bowed. We've got our eyes closed. Some of you are sitting here and your stomachs are churning and you've been feeling a little bit nervous the last several minutes. Listen, I believe that's God. That's my God pursuing you, chasing you down. He desires to be in right relationship with you, but he desires you to take the first step. That's what this moment is. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Listen, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you come up front. I'm not going to put a spotlight on you. I just simply want to invite you to take the first step. If you're here today and you're not sure what would happen if you die tonight, you don't, you're not sure where your eternity will be spent, well, you can be sure. So I want to invite you right now, everybody's got their heads bowed and eyes closed. If I'm talking to you right now and you want to receive that free gift of salvation, just raise your head up and look at me. This is not about me. It's between you and God. I just simply want to see that and acknowledge that and encourage you with some next steps. Yeah. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I see some faces. And the passage goes on to say, For God did not want to condemn the world, but to redeem the world through his Son. He desires that no person perish, but that everyone would spend eternity with him. Okay, if you're the person that I'm talking to right now, would you simply repeat this prayer in your heart between you and God? I'll just lead you through it. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. And I know that my sin separates me from a holy God. 
Jesus, I recognize the truth that your work on the cross covers over my sin and that your just freedom from the grave calls me into an abundant life with you, and I want that. So would you come into my life? Would you fill my life right now? I ask you to be my Savior, and I invite you to be my Lord. You lead. I choose to follow you. God, I thank you for those who are praying that prayer right now. We thank you, and I pray that right now you just wrap your arms of love around them and remind them that you're right here with them and you choose to lead them through life. Let them feel your presence in a powerful way right now. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to send you out of here with some action steps. First of all, tell somebody. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation, so make sure you tell somebody. Just say, hey, listen, I prayed this prayer with Pastor Stan today. Number two, we want to baptize you. Ah, God wants you baptized. Number three, let us walk with you. Listen, we can help you with all three of those action steps. When the service is done, everybody's going to be going that way. If you just prayed that prayer, could I ask you, would you come this direction? My friend, Pastor Tony Johnson and some others will be under the cross. They'd love to help you accomplish all three of those action steps. They want to encourage you, pray with you, help you with your baptism plans. Could the rest of us, can we just celebrate what God's doing in this space right now? Can we just celebrate that? The call to action is to rise up because our cross took his breath away. His death takes our sins away. His resurrection takes our death away. And maybe right now it's time for us to let this whole story take our breath away in worship because hope is now. He calls us to rise up. So let's respond with worship. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you for that moment that we've been talking about today that we've been leaning into where in the greatest moment of history, you won. The grave couldn't hold you. Oh, we were worried there was a three count, one, two, three. But you rose from the grave. And in that single greatest moment of history, you beat the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. You were alive then and you reign on your throne today. You're alive today and we respond with worship because we serve and we worship a risen Savior. And so from the bottom of our feet to the tops of our heads, our whole souls, we cry out right now in gratitude for who you are and what you've done. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.